Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, August 6th, and we're checking out earnings from Fiverr and Mercado Libre. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Fool.com's favorite friend of free-flowing, foolish financial forums, Brian Faroli. Brian, how you doing? You kind of finished my title there on a down note, Dylan. I wanted some pep out of you next time. <laughs> but then I come up with the Brian Faroli. No? Uh... Okay. Sure. We'll go with that. Hi, Dylan. Happy Friday to you, my friend. Energetically, Brian, I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, I am excited to talk to you. We have we have a, a ton of earnings to to sift through, and it's an embarrassment of riches uh, this time of the year. I'm particularly excited because we're going to be hitting on earnings from a stock I own. Uh, I think we're talking about two stocks that you own. Is that right, Brian? That is correct. I am an owner of both of these stocks. Both companies reported interesting earnings reports. Both companies and these two companies headed in completely opposite directions. So it'll be interesting to dig into the details of why that happened. Yep. And these are two heavily followed names in the Fool universe, Fiverr and Mercado Libre, two companies that have been a pretty big beneficiaries of the pandemic and the pivot to digital in different ways, but but very much riding the tailwinds there. Brian, why don't we kick things off talking through Fiverr and for anyone that's following along, ticker there, F-V-R-R. What were the headlines from their earnings report? We've covered Fiverr num- numerous times on this show. We've compared them to Upwork, for those that don't know, Fiverr is a leading online marketplace that you can go to to hire uh, free- freelancers to get uh, to get any work done that you need to do. Uh, Fiverr is a foolish favorite, and for good reason. This company has been in hyper growth mode for the last couple of years. It's been stealing market share away from Upwork, and it checks so many of the boxes that we look for in a, a great uh, investment. 2020 was a phenomenal year for Fiverr for pretty obvious reasons. So it was interesting to see what the results would be as we head into a post-COVID world. And the numbers from Q2 were really, really strong. Revenue in the quarter grew 60% to $75.3 million. That was not only ahead of management's guidance, it also beat Wall Street's estimates. More importantly, in the year-ago quarter, revenue growth was 80%. So this was 60% growth following 80%. It's not like the company had a terrible Q2 of uh, the previous year. So really strong result in the top line. Bottom line also looked good too. Non-GAAP net income more than doubled to $7.9 million or 19 cents per share. Analysts were only expecting 14 cents. So looking backward, pretty good. Yeah, Brian, you mentioned that this is a, a full favorite stock. And I mean, this is a business that has gotten a lot of attention over the last year and change. Uh, it doesn't really matter when you look back. If you go back to 2020, it's a multi-bagger from uh, most points of the early part of the year. Uh, so it's it's a business that has a lot of expectations priced into it, um, and and I think probably a lot of people expecting big things just based on what has happened with this company so far. Um, we know though with a lot of these companies that you know some growth has been pulled forward, and we kind of have to figure out what our expectations should be for them um, as we continue to move through the pandemic and have some parts of the world reopening a little bit. 
Yeah, that's that's entirely true. And again, we're kind of in a weird position in the market right now. We covered this um, previous uh, last week. We talked about Pinterest, where we saw a whole bunch of activity that, to your point, got pulled forward to 2020. And what is that going to happen in in the rest of 2021 as people start to go outside? While the numbers I just mentioned for the headline numbers for Fiverr were really really great, uh, this stock actually fell more than 20% on the day of the earnings report. And if you are confused about why that could happen, it really comes down to just one thing, and that is guidance. Management was previously estimating that for the full year, revenue growth was going to be about 60% to 302 to $308 million. That's what they believed was going to happen just 90 days ago. In this earnings report, management said that they are updating their full-year guidance to only be about 50% growth. And they're saying that revenue is going to be about $20 million less for the full year than they were previously expecting. When you hear something like that, it's not surprising to see a high-growth, high-flying stock really get whacked. Yeah, and, and I think what's encouraging is you know we know ultimately that the dollars, and this is going to be a recurring theme with both these companies to talk about, the dollars are important and the financials that companies put up are important. Um, the core business metrics, uh, certainly for the next company we're going to talk about, Mercado Libre, but I think Fiverr, to, to some extent too, being a high growth stock, are perhaps more important understanding the trajectory of the business long term. And when you look at the core business numbers here, Brian, there's there's still a lot to like. There really is. And that's one thing that I think all investors need to train themselves to do. It's really easy to just look at what's happening with the stock and say, something went terribly wrong. But if you dig into the company's results closely in the quarter, there's a lot of reason for optimism, I believe. So active buyers, the number of people that are on Fiverr that are buying from the company, that figure grew 43% to more than $4 million. Spending per buyer, so each of those buyers that's on there, that grew 23% to $226 per share. So not only are there more buyers on Fiverr, those buyers are spending more. And that translated into pretty darn good in financial results uh, up and down the income statement. So the company's take rate uh, grew 80 basis points to 27.8%. That's a very, very strong figure. Non-GAAP adjusted gross margin, extremely strong, 84.4%. While expenses overall grew uh, 80%, uh, this company still reported adjusted debt income and produced more than $15 million in free cash flow. So if you look at the other core numbers for the company, they look good. Yeah. And I, I think with the full context of what's going on with the business, and also thinking back to the show that we did, I think it was last week, talking about Upwork's earnings, they had talked a little bit about how they know that they're running into some seasonality that they didn't really experience in 2020. Um, they're starting to see what what feels a little bit more like the normal cycles of business uh, coming into effect, and people spending a little bit less time in front of a screen uh, in the summer months, maybe taking a step away from working, slowing down a little bit, possibly taking a vacation. That seems to be a big part of the story here with Fiverr. That's really the theme that management said uh, and said for the for the revision, the downward revision to uh, guidance. They basically said between vacations, summer and school holidays, and people desperate to go out and interact with the world, they're seeing less, people are spending less time online than they were previously. And they could, quote unquote, to be prudent, we are adjusting guidance for the year 2021 downward based on these incremental trends over the past few weeks. That is obviously a bummer if you are a Fiverr investor, as I am. But again, if you look at the numbers that are closer, uh, what management said on the conference call, I think there's reasons for optimism. For example, management said, if you look at the past two years, 
we have effectively doubled our active buyer base, tripled our revenue base, and achieved a nearly 30% positive swing in the EBITDA margin. We grew significantly faster than our competitors, expanded our market share, and rolled out new products and services. That all sounds great to me. It does. And, and Brian, I like that you emphasize that because I think uh, looking through earnings calls this quarter in particular, I have seen a lot more management teams look at two-year comps than I'm used to seeing. And, and I think it's just a reality of how management teams and you know the IR um, folks at a lot of businesses are trying to get people to look at their companies and, and somewhat normalize for the craziness that was 2020. Yeah, and normally you're if if a management team was making that comparison kind of out of the blue, your spidey senses should be going off saying what are they pulling over? But given the kind of extreme situation that we've all been over the last year, that's something that uh, that that I buy and believe in. And again, if you look at this company's two-year results, there's they are nothing short of uh, fantastic. Another thing that was interesting in this conference uh, call that I was particularly excited about was they launched something called Fiverr Business just three quarters ago. Fiverr Business allows companies to kind of get access to a pre-vetted uh, group of talent on Fiverr, and Fiverr does all of that concierge service for them. So if you're a business and you don't want to go through the process of picking out an individual freelancer and then testing them out for their skills, Fiverr can take care of all of that for you. Again, this was only three quarters old, but the, the company said that Fiverr Business already represents 5% of the company's core marketplace business, and quote-unquote, Early data indicates that buyers significantly increased their spend with us after joining Fiverr Business. So this new business line appears to be off to a fast start. Yeah, and this is such a no-brainer, I think, for them as as a business. You know, we we talked about Upwork last week, and I think it's great that we're able to stack those two conversations against each other because there's two businesses that operate in the same space, um, and a lot of the the trends affecting them are going to be the same. But also strategically, we know they're coming at this market from slightly different sides, right? Uh, Upwork is generally seen as more of the enterprise solution, uh, working a little bit more with companies. Fiverr perhaps more for small businesses, uh, people that have creative projects and need some help. Both of them creating projects, creating offerings for customers that get at the thing that they're currently a little deficient in. And that's where Fiverr Business comes into play with Upwork. It's it's a little different. It's creating those prepackaged things so that people can make sense of the marketplace and the offerings um, in a way that's a little bit less intimidating. And I think that's a, one of the big reasons why we've seen Fi Fiverr continuously take share in this market. It started at the low end and it is successfully uh, swimming upstream. I mean, another detail from the call is that management said that quote unquote, high value buyers now represent 61% of core marketplace revenue. And that figure was up 55 from 55% uh, a year ago. And I think that number will continue to improve over time because during this quarter, the company set up partnerships with Salesforce.com and Wix. And what that does is customers of those two companies, and those two companies have millions upon millions of customers, can get access to Fiverr's talent pool in a much more streamlined way. So they make available one-click buying and hiring if you are a Salesforce.com customer or a Wix customer. I think that that's going to be a successful program. So again, I think the company's future continues to look bright. Yeah, I love those partnerships, and you know, I, I think to the way that the fool uses Upwork, and we've been Upwork customers for several years now. Um, you want to get in early with companies when they're exploring these solutions because it's very sticky uh, once you're there. And I think the switching costs are very high. So both of these businesses are in customer acquisition mode. Um, 
it's it's kind of interesting to see him duke it out. Ultimately, Brian, we kind of come back to the same place almost every time we talk about him. There's nothing wrong with buying both of them. <laughs> there, there, there's really not. Um, but I think the bigger point is when you see a stock that you own uh get crushed and it's because of a guidance pullback, that is a scary proposition, right? You could easily say to yourself, the thesis must be busted on this company, but it always behooves you to take, slow down, read through the, read for their conference call, ask yourself if the, the reasons for the slowdown make sense and ask the, the, the big question that I always ask is, is the long-term thesis for owning this stock uh, still intact? When I read through the details, I come away firmly believing the answer there is yes. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. And you know, just trying to connect, you know, the things that management is specifically highlighting in the call with where you think this industry is going. We we just ran through Fiber Business and how this is probably a huge part of where this company is going and what it looks like, Brian, maybe three, five, ten years from now. Um, I think it's undeniably more successful if it's able to create a large fiber business segment. Maybe it becomes the largest part of this company down the road. That would certainly be a wonderful turn of events uh, if that happens. But yeah, to, to your point, I think that both Fiverr and Upwork are still in the very, very early innings of, of uh, their, their long-term growth trajectory. So uh, while it's disheartening to see the stocks get punished uh, in the short term, I'm personally not selling any of my shares. I'm curious, Brian, um, knowing this is in your portfolio, I don't know where this, this stock lives in terms of the position for you, if you've built it out over time or if you still have, um, you know, uh, you're still building into the position a little bit. Are you looking at the pullback recently and saying, maybe I'll be adding to it? Well, it's always important to put pullbacks into context, right? So yes, a one day 20% move doesn't feel good, but the share price is all the way back to where it was in April. So basically, the, just over three months of gains were wiped away in, 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 in one day. So this is still a pricey stock even after the, this pullback. But having said that, Fiverr is not a full position for me yet. I scale into positions slowly, so I could easily see myself continuing to add to this company for a long time. I love that historical step back. You know, it's it's easy to get lost in the the day to day movements, but knowing, yes, in fact, it's just three months of share price appreciation can often be very helpful. Um, Brian, we have a we have a slightly different story with Mercado Libre, the second stock we're going to be talking about. Um, and you know, I'm I'm not going to bury the lead with this one. Basically, another incredible quarter for Mercado Libre. Uh, this has been uh, a business that's basically on fire in a good way, not a dumpster fire, a on fire, all cylinders firing type fire. Um, just wonderful stuff across the board. E-commerce, no surprise, front and center with 2020 and 2021, and the payments business for this company absolutely taking off. Um, the main driver for the long time for a long time with this business, Brian, was that e-commerce operation. Um, and let's start there with the results. So gross merchandise volume of over seven billion, which is up forty six percent in local currency, two hundred and forty five million items sold, up thirty seven percent year over year. This company is over twenty years old, and those are the top line numbers that we're seeing for its core business segment. Absolutely incredible. That, that is incredible. And when I invested in Mercado Libre for the first time almost a decade ago at this point, it was essentially you were doing so because of its e-commerce platform. Uh, it's Mercado Pago, its payment platform, was kind of a nice-to-have feature that they were still developing. But as I think you're going to point out, that has now become the star of the show. It really has. I mean, the thesis for this stock has shifted dramatically over the last couple of years. Keep that number I just said, gross merchandise volume is $7 billion in your head, because total payment volume for, for their payment business, $17.5 billion, up 72% year over year in local currency. So not only is it bigger, 
but it's growing faster. And I think you can tell this is where this business is going. This is going to be a really large part of the tailwinds that this business enjoys. And I think crucially, Brian, they break this out into on-platform and off-platform payments. Uh, Brian Stoffel, one of our colleagues, has done a remarkable job over the last couple of years documenting this story. And we hit a point a couple of years ago where off-platform became a larger part of the contributions to total payment volume. It is blowing on platform out of the water at this point. On platform is just over 7 billion, up 47% year over year, basically tracks with GMV. Off platform over 10 billion and up 94% year over year. To back it out a little bit and get a little bit less wonky for folks that don't follow the company as closely, Brian, this basically means that Mercado Pago is stepping in as the PayPal Venmo go-to digital payment system for Latin America. That's incredible. And as you pointed out uh, just below here in, in the notes, 730 million transactions uh, for the quarter. That figure was up 100 million sequentially. 100 million more transactions in a 90-day period. And that figure was up 80% year over year. And they have 39 million total users on their Mercado, platform, Mercado Pago platform. To me, Mercado Ligue is the ultimate example of the importance of optionality in a business. You want a company to have multiple futures ahead of it, and that is exactly what this company has done. Yeah, and I don't think the story ends. I mean, you know, with, with optionality for them, it's it's easy to think, oh my gosh, this company has gone on an incredible run. Depending on when you've bought it, it's easily a ten bagger uh, for some people. It's a multi bagger for a lot of other people. Um, it's it's still only an eighty five, maybe ninety billion dollar business. Um, and and there is so much to like. I realize, you know, we we kind of went immediately to some of the key business metrics here, Brian. And some folks probably want to know, okay, what was the top line? You know, what was the bottom line here? Um, I do think it, you know it's important when we talk about Mercado Libre to say um, they do business in over a dozen countries, a lot of different currencies come into the mix. So we tend to focus on the key business metrics here, just because they're not as subject to the whims of local currencies and fluctuations that happen there, because uh, everything winds up getting repatriated back as dollars when they report. That said, the dollar figures were still super strong for Mercado Libre. Net revenue reached $1.7 billion for the quarter, up 94% in U.S. dollars and 103% in a foreign currency uh, or Forex neutral uh, standpoint. Uh, they actually made money, just under $70 million for the quarter. Brian, I, I'm not really looking for them to be posting net income, but it's kind of nice to have, I guess, as a kicker. Yeah, I wouldn't expect this company. I always like it when this company reports net income. And a few years ago, it, it was reporting uh, significant amounts of net income. So the PE ratio was actually a useful uh, metric for them. They have really dove deep into reinvesting their in their business as aggressively as they possibly can. So that has pushed their net income uh, above and below zero uh, in some quarters. To your point, it's nice to see that they report a positive net income, but that's not the story right now. The story is revenue growth. And on that front, they're crushing it. Yeah, and and you just mentioned you know the investment in the business. I think if you're looking for something to kind of quibble on, uh, you know, gross margin has dipped a little bit year over year. It's forty four percent versus forty eight percent a year ago, and the big reason for that is the heavy investment they're making in their business. Um, basically, their first party commerce sales and the logistics fulfillment center operations and the rollout related to that eating into some of the revenue and causing their gross margins to come down. Those are long-term investments, and and those are things that strengthen their offering, so they are sensible to me. Um, we teed it up a little bit before, Brian, but there are so many reasons to still be super excited about this business, even given that it is now almost a $90 billion company, um, in large part because if you look over at some of the U.S. counterparts, 
that Mercado Libre is an amalgamation of, you know, you have PayPal, you have Amazon, you have Square. Um, that's a ton of money in market cap right there. It's a lot of opportunity in front of this business. And yet Mercado Libre is only a $80 billion company. And one other interesting just note there is uh, C Limited, which is sort of like the Mercado Libre of Southeast Asia. Uh, they have a payments platform. They also have a, a marketplace platform. Uh, that market cap is $160 billion. And if you've been paying attention to them at all, they have been making serious investments and inroads in the Latin America's market uh, for both their payment and, and um, uh, e-commerce platforms. So I am particular. I, that's something that I think Mercado Libre investors need to keep an eye on. So the fact that the company is still growing this strong, even though they're seeing increasing competition from the likes of C Limited, uh, is a really, really good sign. Yeah, and, and you can see why there's investment there. Uh, the the management team from Mercado Libre specifically pointed out in the earnings call in the 2021 eMarketer report, uh, they pointed to Latin America as the leading region in the world for e-commerce sales growth, with almost 10 percentage points higher than projections for the worldwide average. And three of the top five markets are Mercado Libre markets, Brazil, Argentina, and Mexico. Um, Brian, you, you mentioned optionality before. I think that Mercado Libre is a business that is worth owning for so many reasons. I mean, it's it's a great stock. It has been a wonderful performer for people that have owned it. But I think it is a very teachable stock as well. I think I think it's a business, especially if you're a relatively new investor, um, that is worth having a position in because it will force you to follow it and understand how businesses find accelerating revenue and also how businesses find um, expanding total addressable market over time. And one thing I want to call out from their earnings is that they specifically say with all of their uh, all the excitement around their payments offering, we are confident that we can continue to overlay financial services through the digital wallet, such as insurance, debit cards, and more immediately access to credit loans. We didn't get too far into a lot of their financial services offerings. Um, there's plenty to dive into there, Brian. But I hear them say things like that, and it's easy to think, okay, well, total payment volume. You know, we we know that what peer to peer might be. We know what peer to merchant might be. But then you realize once you have people in there with digital wallets, there's all of these other financial services that can be layered into what Mercado Pago offers or what Mercado Libre offers with different product offerings. We've seen a lot of innovation in the fintech space and the buy now, pay later, for example, category has become enormous uh, around around the world. That is something that just makes sense, especially if you're going to be making a several thousand dollar purchase uh, in the United States. But when you're talking about some smaller economies where the uh, average income is much lower, a buy now, pay later feature for even a few hundred dollar item can really be a key thing that will enable some people to to make purchases. So that, that, that feature to me is a natural fit for that market. And Mercado Libre is uniquely positioned to roll that out. Yeah, and if you've been paying attention to the news this week, you know that there are plenty of American firms that are looking at that space and are pretty excited as well. Big acquisition there uh, with Square and Afterpay this week. So, you know, I, I think for a while we've seen Melly kind of follow plans that some other slightly more established firms have laid out for how to attack certain markets. In this case, I think they're moving right alongside them. No need to recreate the wheel if it's working in another market, right? <laughs> I mean, Mercado Libre, the business, is essentially a borrowed idea from eBay and PayPal uh, in the United States, and clearly they are executing uh, really well. So more power to them. Take those good ideas you see elsewhere and incorporate into your business. That's what smart management teams do. 
Yep. And they bundle it into something that is just an incredible ecosystem, uh, an incredible offering, and so many things that reinforce the strength of each other and really create flywheel effects. I mean, what's so wonderful about the payments business being as big as it is, is it starts out as something that enables on-platform transactions, right? You're able to co- to communicate digitally and also pay digitally, transact digitally. Um, and then all of a sudden, it grows into this thing that people are using for something totally different and actually brings people on board in a way that allows them to transact uh, on your platform. It becomes a growth engine two different ways. Um, that's what optionality does for you. And I think this is why this is one of those businesses that is just worth studying. Yeah, another reason that this business is worth studying is if you just pulled up a long-term chart of Mercado Libre, you basically see a line that moves up and to the right in a pretty consistent uh, in pretty consistent action. But if you've been an investor in in this business, the actual experience of owning this stock has been nothing but smooth. This is a company that regularly goes through 25, 35, or even 45% drawdowns during, during the year for a variety of, of reasons. Uh, so this has been an extremely, extremely volatile to stock to hold. But if the entire time you were just a believer that Latin America is in a growth, a growing market. Mercado Libre is a is a leader in the space. And long term, I like the company's chances. You've been hugely rewarded. But make no mistake, this has not been a uh, turbulent free stock to own. The volatility here has been extreme. Yeah, Brian, I'm actually looking at the stock chart right now. You go back 2018, 2019, 2020, and even right now, 2021, uh, the company has experienced 20% drops uh, from highs in every single one of those years. It's just the reality of, of uh, a business that is incredibly disruptive, You know, uh, has a lot of tailwinds behind it, but also a lot of expectations built into it, and also unique to them working in a bunch of different economies that have a lot of different currency things happening and having to bring that money back in dollars. Um, it, just, it, it can create a little bit of havoc with their financials. But what we know to be true is the tailwinds remain incredibly strong for this business, and they continue to find really interesting spaces to grow into. That's it. That's why we always say, focus on the business, not on the stock. Because if you just look at this company's business results, you have we've been nothing but impressed, essentially, since this company came public. If you just look at its stock, you have nothing but heartburn. So focus on the business, not the stock. Yeah. And, and I'll say, Brian, I, I am uh, someone who is very happy with my my Melly position. It is, I think, my largest holding at this point. I think it's about 11% of my, my brokerage account. Um, not my overall net worth, but specifically the brokerage account where I own individual stocks. Um, for a while, I've said, you know what, it's big. I don't know if I want to add to it. I'm seeing such incredible results from this company, uh, and I have some cash coming in that I'm going to be putting to work. I think I'm probably going to be adding a little bit just because the results are so strong, and it is not hard to think of this as a multi hundred billion dollar company uh, five, 10 years from now. It feels like it's probably worth adding a little bit for me. To each his own, like you, this is my number one holding, not because I set out to be my number one holding. It's just appreciated so much that it's grown into that position. I personally don't add to any stock after it becomes a 3% position for me. But to your point, given the results that we're seeing and given the execution, I understand why you're tempted. Yeah. And there we go. I mean, it's 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 wonderful to be able to kick around different uh, allocation ideas and different thoughts uh, on how to put money to work, even within people who agree on the same stock, Brian. It's one of the, it's one of the joys of doing what we do, you know? <laughs> There's no right or wrong way to invest. And I'm not saying that my way is right. I just think it's the right way for me. But I know other people like you that have double-digit positions and are looking to add to them because they want concentration in their top ideas. So again, there's no right or wrong way to do it. 
Yep. And and I will add the the caveat here. I'm only in that position because I'm diversified wildly elsewhere. You know, like um, the the amount in my my individual brokerage account is a relatively sizable amount, but it's in addition to money that's in 401ks, money that's in IRAs and other positions. So, you know, it's it's a piece of the pie. And that's what we always have to remember, Brian. That's right. You always got to keep your entire pie in mind, not just your portfolio. That's right. Speaking of, I'm eating pizza later today, Brian, and I'm very excited. Going to head over to Timber. Great slice of pizza in Washington, D.C. I hope you have some good weekend plans as well. We have a birthday party uh, for our, one of our neighbors coming up, so that should be a fun. It looks like they have a huge water slide in their yard, so you can bet that I'll be on that within the next 24 hours. That sounds awesome. I think you're winning the weekend so far. We'll check in on Monday and see who actually got the W. Uh, Brian, as always, thanks so much for joining me on today's show. Thanks for having me, Dylan. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Fool on. Fool on.